You're listening to The Red Tales, the Moddy Body Red podcast, which candidly celebrates the messy and iconic parts of our teenage years and our bodies. From juggling changing friendship groups, dealing with first heartbreaks, and waking up to changing body parts, our teenage years are filled with the most defining and often cringeworthy moments of our lives. Luckily, we're not alone. Moddy Body Red is the sustainable, easy to use period underwear for tweens and teens. It gives us the best protection against period leaks and stains, so we can ditch the pads and get on with living our best lives. I'm Sasha Meany, your host, and every fortnight I'll be joined by a young Aussie who isn't afraid to open up about the all-too-relatable moments from their teenage years and how they lived to tell the tale. Spoiler alert, make sure you listen to the very end of each podcast as we'll share with you our special Moddy Body discount code. Today's episode covers topics of mental health, depression, and anxiety, and may be triggering to some listeners. If you or a loved one is in need of help, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. In school, I would constantly sit in a state of unease and tension, while everyone else around me seemed to sit still and focused. Noise was distracting, last-minute changes left me feeling inconsolable, and the slightest accident left me in a pool of tears. I could not control anything. And in my attempt to, I became exhausted. With the support of my family, I went to a psychologist who told me that I had developed anxiety. For me, anxiety saw me buckle when things didn't go to plan or how I'd intended them to. With ongoing sessions, I was able to develop some coping strategies and gain further insight into my thoughts, emotions, and past behavior. While I still struggle with anxiety, speaking to somebody was the first step towards bettering mental health and my quality of life. In today's episode, Charlotte shares her own journey with mental health and how with the help of others, she began to heal from the inside out. Welcome to the podcast, Charlotte. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sash. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So you're here today to talk to us about all things mental health and, you know, getting yourself aware of what your your mind and your body are doing, Mm. you know, together. Mm -hmm. What is your, what was your earliest experience of understanding mental health or experiencing something that you thought was slightly off? Mm. Well, the experience definitely came before the understanding for me. And, but I didn't know it until many years later, because I have no memory of it. But apparently when I was about five, I was sitting on the steps outside our house at the time. And my mum thought I looked a bit glum and asked, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's wrong. And I do remember feelings of kind of just waves of kind of a gross feeling that I didn't understand at the time when I was little. Um, but looking back, I think were kind of early signs of depressive tendencies, if not um, depression. And then when I was 15, I had a whole lot of other health stuff going on, physical health wise. I had a thyroid doing wreaking absolute havoc on the rest of my body. And um, eventually I I got to a doctor who diagnosed that condition and then at the same time um, said, and I think you have depression, I think you should go on antidepressants as well. And even though I'd been so low for a number of months by that time, it was a real shock. Mm. It was just kind of hard to reconcile with my idea of myself and the idea of a person with depression. They were just, how do I make this fit? This is not an identity that I'm comfortable with at all. 
And I remember just being in the car with my mum and just crying and her just kind of holding my hand or something um, just because, it, yeah, it was it was confronting, even though it, it made so much sense and it was kind of like, oh, of course, I probably mm. should have gone on antidepressants a couple of years ago. I was 15 by this point. Um, yeah, it was still hard to grapple with at that point. Yeah, and what did your mum say? Does anyone in your family also experience mental health, um, you know, mental health challenges? Yeah, I, I mean, I had grown up knowing that mental health issues were rife on both sides of my family. No one in my immediate family um, had depression, but I was aware that on my mum's side there was a lot of anxiety um, and depression in her kind of cousins. Her mum had been a highly anxious person. And then on dad's side it was more so um, depression. So we'd always had kind of open conversations, I guess, about mental health issues in our house, but that didn't make it any less kind of shocking for me to be diagnosed with depression. Mm. Yeah. And what was, so you said that you went in for a thyroid issue and then they said, we think you should go on antidepressants. Mm. What gave them that feeling? Like, did you have a specific experience that you were talking to them about? No, and I don't think it's necessarily kind of trauma related for no, me. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of over a period of probably a couple of years, but definitely a couple of months. I just experienced such low mood, very low energy. Um, and that is a symptom of thyroid. I had, yeah, a wildly underactive thyroid at that point, severely underactive. And depression is a symptom that goes hand in hand with that. So couched in those terms, it was a bit easier for me to be like, okay, I'm depressed, but it's because of this thyroid issue. That's why, mm. um, which made it slightly less confronting. And I think gave me the impression that once my thyroid was under control, the depression would also be under control and my mental health would improve. And did that happen in the way that you thought it would? I know like the thing is that journey isn't linear you know no. what I mean so whereas like what you've described it does feel like okay if I can put this in terms of a timeline if I do this this and this everything should be all right and I'm assuming mm. well I don't know maybe it has been like that for you but I'm assuming <laughs> oh, I for wish. me it hasn't so <laughs> no. so did when did you kind of realize that that wasn't just going to be a straightforward process I think once my thyroid was more under control mm. and I was on antidepressants had been so for had been for about a year or so um I realised that, oh, I stupidly tried to go cold turkey off the antidepressants at some point. I think I was in about year 11 by that point. And that was just disastrous. And I can highly not recommend it uh, for anyone on antidepressants. But I think, yeah, it was because I still hadn't reconciled that I, with that idea of, of being depressed and needing antidepressants, needing, you know, medical intervention. Yeah. Um, so I did that. That was, that was a bad decision. And after that, you know, I just broke down one day, admitted to my parents that I'd come off the antidepressants, went back on them um, and was on them throughout high school, into my gap year, into uni. And I did see psychologists, um, not, not regularly enough. Because I had a lot of other health issues, the physical health issues kind of always took priority over the mental health, I think. So I was more likely to go to a doctor and, um, you know, be having lots of blood tests and that kind of thing to try and control the physical health without really addressing the psychological issues um, that were probably behind the mental health issues. So, yeah, no, it hasn't been linear. It's been very up and down, but I think definitely more up than down the past couple of years um, as I get older and just accept things like 
I'm a person who needs to take more care um, to make sure that I am things like factoring in exercise, trying to make exercise a non-negotiable, which is, you know, a struggle, an ongoing struggle, but I'm getting better at it. Um, And just knowing that I'm someone that needs to take more opportunities to check in with myself, um, to practice self-care more rigorously than other people and just accepting that difference, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I went on um, antidepressants 20, it would have been 2019. Yeah. Beginning of 2019. And I, people in my family are also have been taking medication, whether it be Ritalin for ADHD, ADD or other antidepressants for anxiety or depression. So I wasn't unfamiliar with the fact but I kind of didn't know, exactly like you said, you'd been feeling low for a couple of months. I didn't know what was the point at where I should turn and ask, I need, I need help. Like I need, I need something a bit more than just your average, you know, take time for yourself, whatever. Like mm-hmm. I just need a little bit of a kickstart on something. And, you know, I spoke to my psychologist about it and he very much was like, you know, you have your serotonin and your serotonin uptakers and that kind of stuff. He's like, if you are an anxious person, which I am, and very kind of jittery, you are dealing with flight or fight all the time. Mm-hmm. And at a point, your body just becomes immune to, immune to, like, it's constantly on. Mm. So your body isn't used to just, you know, taking care of yourself at a regular level. Mm. And if we can do something about bringing you just down to that regular level so that you don't feel like every situation is a life or death situation. Yeah. It can help. Mm. And that's why I started taking antidepressants. And similar to you, I didn't go cold turkey completely <laughs> off, but I'm really bad at remembering to take it. And oh. there are periods where I have just like for a week mm. not taken it. Oh. And then, and it's so... Chaos. It's chaos. It's not also, <laughs> it's not just chaos in your head, but even like things like side effects, like my weight, like just went ballooned mm, because right. it wasn't used to... Um, it wasn't used to the drug suddenly like not being there and Mm. then being there and then not being there and then being there. And God, do you think I could have just helped myself really? I know, (laughs) I know, but you get to a stage where you can't. You just forget. You just, it's so difficult to realise exactly like you said, that this is a must, like Mm. that you need to do this. Yeah. And if Mm -hmm. you are going off an antidepressant, so important that you wean Mm. off the antidepressant. Yeah, and have medical advice about <laughs> <that>. <laughs> rather than self-diagnose because mm. I know other people who have just gone cold turkey mm. and it's hard to admit that that decision that you made was wrong like mm. you know when I went off I remember for a couple of weeks and I was I don't know what was going on I went, I'm not even going to say that I was just crying or something I just it wasn't that I was crying or sobbing or you know the stereotypes of what yeah. somebody is when they're depressed it was mm. more just literally like It'd be 3 p.m. and I was, like, lying in my bed yeah. and I was, like... Like that apathy? Yeah, I just didn't care. Mm. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just kind of feel, like, uncalibrated to the real world or something. Yeah, dissociating. Mm. I was... I, that's a big thing for me is dissociating. Mm. I just... Why Why would I need to get up at 3 p.m.? <laughs> like, <laughs> if I have nothing to do, mm. do I need to be up? No. Well, then I can just lie here and get sweaty and smelly underneath my doona. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Luxury of living alone. Oh, yeah. Luxury. Of, well, now I have a dog, so she... Yeah, she keeps you accountable. Well, that's the other thing. Maybe, maybe having a dog has helped me I, well, I stay in line. I think it you does. got a new dog recently as well. We did. She was a COVID puppy. Yeah. yeah. Um. Definitely, yeah. I mean, having to walk them, having to take basic care of them, I think means you can't become 
fully self-involved. Yeah. yeah. But also, you know, that I think it's like dopamine is released when you look into a dog's eyes and like pat them <laughs> or something and the same thing for them. It's, yeah, having a dog's great for mental health. It is great for a mental privilege, health. privilege, obviously, it, And a well. huge privilege, yeah. Mm. I'm just thinking, do you, so apart from exercise, are there any other things that you notice kind of, and this is what's hard is that when you've got a physical problem, mm. it's you, it's visible. So you visibly see it and you like have to take care of it mm. because you know, you can see the progress of it getting better or worse, et cetera. Yeah. Whereas your mental health, mm. you don't have kind of that barometer or, or something that's mm. like the Weasley's clock in Harry Potter where it says such and such is in danger or such and such yeah. is, you know, whatever. Wouldn't that be helpful? Oh, mm. God, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> you just know. Mm. Um, it's invisible. It's an invisible illness. Yeah. yeah. And Are there things that you, you recognise and then think, okay, I need to do this this and this or I can Mm. try sorry I can try this this and this and see if it changes I think keeping stress levels down is really important for me that probably ties more into anxiety than depression but things like not saying yes to every social event realizing that I'm an introvert who gets energy and strength from going inwards from reading a book from having deep conversations with people but not necessarily in a room full of different people that I have to interact with I think, yeah, not overcommitting socially is a big one for me. Eating really well, keeping really on track of things like making sure that I'm buying the medications and just like the supplements when I need to before, you know, I run out and then think, oh, I can't get to a chemist for three days, but that's okay. I'll just miss the antidepressant for three days and then be a mess. I'm literally just realising that I don't have that I need to go get it filled <laughs> right after this. Okay, well, I will hold you to hold that. Me <laughs> but it, yeah, you're right. It just sometimes it escapes you. And I think a big, like, I can thoroughly relate mm. to you saying, learning how to say no mm. is such a big thing because I don't know, this is how different people are brought up. And I actually mentioned this to my mom the other day and the rest of my siblings were like, that's not true. But my mom was like, actually, no, that's how we were. That's how we spoke to her. When I was younger, if things, if I didn't feel like hanging out with people mm. and mom noticed I had a really hard time as a child being social, like I found mm. it really exhausting I and I and just I wasn't bothered. I'd much rather be by myself. I'd much mm. rather be reading, etc. Mum said, "Just fake it." She was like, "Just smile <laughs> and fake it." She's like, "By smiling," and I mean, it, the thing is, it is true. By smiling, <laughs> your body think you can convince your body you that you are happy, mm. but it also means that there's you're delaying feeling sh- like feeling bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I think that's something I've getting older I've realized okay well I don't have to just Mm. pretend yeah like I can just tap out and I'm still Mm. not fully in tune with that myself because the other night I was at a party I think it got really late and I just started crying (laughs) I was so but I was like I need to be out because all my friends are out and mm. I my dog's with my mum so I have the whole evening to myself so I need to enjoy this by being out with my friends. Yeah. And then I was like crying and crying <laughs> to my friend and I was like I just don't understand the world. I'm so anxious. I can't believe I have to do law. I'm 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 never going to have friends again. Like you know, all these things like just came out, came out. And I should have just gone home. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's yeah, having to realize that what makes you happy might not be what makes the majority of the world happy mm. and like learning what what works for you it's a it's a long process yeah and I think 
you know, there's the the trope of like the troubled artist, the depressed artist. And I do notice, you know, a lot of my theatrical friends are people who are inclined to be depressed or anxious. And a lot of people who have mental health issues are kind of sensitive, more artistic types maybe, who don't find that great source of happiness and fulfilment in all the same things as, you know, mentally well, in inverted commas, people. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think a big thing about what you just said as well is that at university, when you find people who have similar interests to you, sometimes those similar interests also reflect similar ways of thinking mm. and therefore, you know, similar predetermined patterns, yeah. like cognitive patterns such mm. as depression or anxiety, mm. et cetera. Do you think that helped you understand it and like destigmatize it more at university? Yeah, I think it, w- it was definitely like, oh, it's totally okay to be a bit mentally unstable in this yeah. group of friends. Oh, that's nice. But also I think in that particular group of theatrical people, there's a bit of a tendency to maybe trivialise mental health. Yeah. And I think on social media, people kind of walk a fine line between, you know, keeping people informed about their mental illness and then turning it into a, a joke. And, you know, humour yeah. is absolutely a coping mechanism. But I do get a bit, it makes me slightly uncomfortable when I see people kind of like, lol, yeah. so depressed, lol. Yeah. Um, and I think that does pose a risk for other people of of thinking, oh, well, I I can't think of my mental illness on those kind of humorous, light-hearted terms. Is that something wrong with me? Should I be able to just, you know, keep it light-hearted when I'm feeling actually really low and like I need help? It's hard, yeah, I agree. It's hard to realise that other people are expressing it in their ways because mm. I'm definitely somebody who deals with my de- my depression but mostly like anxiety. I would say I have a lot of jitters. My legs always, you know, mm. whatever. Before a situation, like I need to have mentally processed how it will go before mm. I enter the situation. Uh I would never post about it on social media. That's not me saying I never, ever will. Mm. But I worry that if I do, people will think I'm, you know, asking for attention or Mm. that I'm being silly. And so it's more that I'm self-conscious of it rather than me thinking, oh, you're not allowed to do it. But Mm. I get what you mean. It's you can't help but compare your experience Mm. to somebody else's. And is their experience more valid because it's more vocal? Or Mm. is your experience more valid because, you know, deep tortured artist, you're (laughs) keeping it to yourself and suffering in private. There's, Mm. you know, it, it feels... Yeah, it feels hard to distinguish what should be your own experience mm. without everybody around you yeah. who's also saying, I am having the exact same experience. And it's, yeah. no, we're not having the same experience. We're mm. having different experiences. You can be, you can have a laugh about it, but don't blame me if I can't laugh about that right now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it is just so individual. Mental health is so individual and open conversation is so important. Um, and keeping the conversation going about different ways that work for different people mm. of dealing with mental health. Even though I, f- I feel like the conversation has opened up so much about mental health in the past 10 years, that's as long as I've been on antidepressants, and people are much more comfortable with, oh, you have depression, oh, okay, you know, how does that affect you? Or me feeling comfortable talking to people about other people about depression and realising how many people struggle with mental health issues. Mm. But even so, I feel like even antidepressants, there's still a bit of a stigma about. Yeah. And I had a fear when I was going on antidepressants that it would numb feelings. and That's a stereotype 
and maybe I know some people do experience that, that, you know, you, you feel numb and you can't experience the highs and it, it rounds out the lows as well. So you mm. just kind of sit in this middle ground of not feeling super joyful but also not feeling the lows, whereas that's not the case for me. That's not yeah. how antidepressants affect me. Um, but, yeah, I've definitely been, like, pill-shamed about being on antidepressants, not so much now but when I was kind of in, in those teenage years and early into my early 20s, just I think even though public discourse has opened up and is so much more empathetic and sensitive to people with mental health issues, the conversation about how you treat that is still a bit... It's a bit more nuanced than I think public discourse allows. And Mm. similar to what you're saying about the pill thing, I was on a certain amount for a long time, like about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And then after that year and a half, my thing comes in like severe lows if Mm. I have a depressive moment. Yeah. And I had a severe low and I went to the doctor and I asked... I just, you know, must maybe it's my blood sugars, maybe it's my weight, I don't know what to do. I thought it was going to be something physical. Mm. And she said, it's probably just that your body is used to your medication at that level and now you need to increase it. Mm. And I thought to myself, does that mean I'm going to have to keep increasing my medication for the mm. rest of my life? Like, you know, keep going up 50 milligram doses. Yeah. But if that's what it is for me to be fine, then that's what it is for me to be fine, mm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, you know, I might decide to go off it eventually and mm. see, you know, see if I'm able to, you know, because the things that were triggering me at a certain time are not around as much anymore. So mm. maybe that will be better. But mm. it's hard, I think, to understand that depression isn't just a, a like a, a, a characteristic, that it is something that, is treatable, that it is something mm. that is evolving and changing, mm. you know, whereas when you watch a TV series and you see somebody who has depression, mm. you don't see every single doctor's appointment, every single like time they f- refill their prescription or every conversation they have with their friends. You don't have that full nuanced perspective of like what their journey is. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I have one that I want to bring up, but mm. Something that always made me, that has now made me feel incredibly uh, aware of just that experience is the Nanette, the Hannah Gadsby's oh, Nanette. Oh, my goodness. When she yep. speaks about uh, Vincent van Gogh and how the, mm. and the flowers and they were like, oh, you know, if, if he was, if he wasn't upset, then, you know, he wouldn't have made the flowers. And she is like, mm. no, he was actually you know, taking something that made him see colours more brightly, but he was taking that thing so that he wouldn't experience that depression or something like that. Mm. I highly recommend if anybody listening to this podcast is, <laughs> you know, questioning the validity of their experience or whether or not they want to go on medication or how they're just feeling about the chaos of the world, I would really recommend that. That really helped me understand that there's no, there shouldn't be any shame in wanting to get better. No. Yeah. yeah. And I think... Something that's so difficult about depression as well, for me at least, this was the case, I had to want to get better. Mm -hmm. You know, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink. That old saying, it was like at the time I didn't really believe myself worthy of happiness. Mm. So I I wasn't taking all the necessary steps to try and make myself better. I was was lazy and... um, um, (laughs) Apathetic towards... No, just with taking medication. Oh, yeah. It just was... Yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, if I remember it. But I I wasn't taking all the necessary steps to ensure that I was being my best, able to be my best self. 
because I didn't really believe myself worthy of that. Mm. And I think it's that's just been a matter of time for that to develop, for me to go far out. It's been so long now. I'm sick of this. Yeah, exactly. I do want to be happier. I'm, I can finally be. believe that I deserve that <laughs> yeah. after all these years. Exactly. Yeah. Were there and, any other influences on that journey towards getting better or was it just a general maturing and then the people around you? Yeah, I think maturing. Um, my little sister also struggles with mental health and I see a lot of kind of my earlier struggles now reflected in her and almost wanting to kind of show her you know, that you can improve the situation for yourself um, and it doesn't have to be that same way forever. Um, no, that's a big thing. Mm. It's when you can see that you're, when you can see that somebody else isn't seeing themselves correctly because mm. I have a specific person and mm. they're sadly not with us anymore, but they, when they couldn't see their own self-worth but everybody around them mm. was like, this person is amazing. Yeah. Mm. And then you think, well, I deserve that. Like I deserve to be spoken to the way that I speak to that per I spoke to yeah. that person. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. If if I'm telling her she's wonderful and deserves the world, she's not gonna believe it if that's not reflected in how I look after myself and treat myself and take my self, you know, think of myself, I guess. Yeah. Well that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like weirdly emotional. Well yeah. thank you so much for talking to us about it. It is this is such a weird thing to verbalise. Mm. But um, you've done it so well and I appreciate it. Oh, I hope so. It's a pleasure. When we share our mental health hardships with loved ones, we often do so hoping to feel better and less alone in our feelings. But sometimes we can find ourselves in a state of comparison where we wonder why our experience differ from another's. We can grow frustrated or even disheartened. We can begin to wonder... Why don't I feel like that? Why hasn't my therapist suggested that? And so on. When we find ourselves in these positions of comparison, practicing self-compassion can be vital to our well-being. This can look like affirmative phrases such as, you are enough. It can look like a practice of breathing that returns us to the present moment. It could be a walk, a call to a therapist or a journal of thoughts. Whatever form it takes, Self-compassion enables us to focus on ourselves, acknowledge our journey and stay grounded in the now rather than what may be. It can also be a very life-affirming practice, one that reminds us of our worth and that we will be okay in our own time. Thanks for listening to The Red Tales, the Muddy Body Red podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in to today's episode, related a bit too much to the story or learned something new, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. If you're curious about our underwear and you'd love to give it a try, head to our website and use our exclusive code REDTAILS15 for 15% off. You can even join the Red Squad by signing up on our website to receive exclusive VIP offers. Lastly, to keep up with all things red, make sure to follow us on Instagram at modibody_red. underscore red. Remember, life is messy, but your period doesn't have to be.